Hey, this is Stan Gibbons, the lead pastor of Northside Bible Church. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this strengthens and inspires you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to us at northsidemobile.org or you can message us on Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy the sermon. Genesis chapter 3, Eve has been deceived by the serpent, the most subtle of all and crafty of all serpents has deceived her. And chapter 3 verse 6 says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to her eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made for themselves loin coverings, so they hide from each other. And a bunch of you have heard me teach this before or been in my office with counseling where we work through this. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. You know why they hid? Because they had sin in their life. They had sinned against the holy God, and their shame and their guilt... And all that was stirred up inside them caused them to literally move into a place of running away from God, the creator, God the giver, God who created everything for them. They ran away from God rather than to God. And as they chose to run away from God, um, they were learning our little lesson today. They need a redeemer. They need somebody to help them. Amen? And I know a lot of people that... um, Love to be critical of the faith of uh, faithful followers of Christ, Christ followers, Christians. A lot of people that are critical of that say God is a cruel and a mean and an evil God. Just read the Old Testament. And uh, so we're going to read some of the Old Testament. But in this very first moment of sin and rebellion towards God, God does not come in with a heavy hammer or a heavy hand. He literally seeks out the sinners, Adam and Eve calls unto them and gives them a path of restoration. They needed help and they needed a redeemer, someone who would pay the debt for them. Now, we're going to talk about this word redeem a lot today and what it means to be redeemed. If you've followed Christ and trust in Christ as your Savior, believe that He died on the cross to pay for all your sins, um, He is your redeemer and you have been redeemed. And I'm just going to package it real simple. There's I can give you all the Hebrew words and the Greek words, but they boil down to this, right? It's a real simple definition if you want to make a note of it. No slides today, by the way. There's not going to be anything up there because this is just a a little devotional thought for you, but I can give you a printout of the notes anytime you want them. But here's what the word redeem means. It means to be purchased or released by payment from a ransom you owe or a debt you owe. It's when you were ransomed back or bought back from a debt you owed or caused. You were freed from a bondage and a captivity. It means that the, the ruin of your life and how you were living in ruin is now paid for so you can live in freedom and grace. And it's, it's pictured all through the Bible. Some of the most simple pictures of it is in the Old Testament, New Testament, when someone would buy a slave from a slave market and put them in, in a nice home and ask them to serve them for a while. Set, I don't know what happened. Then set them free. And once they were free, the servant would say, I still want to be your servant because you bought me out of 
sin. You bought me out of slavery. You bought me out of all this mess. And so those were called bond servants. It's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament. But here's what Adam and Eve need. They need somebody to get them out of the mess they've made and free them. And so in Genesis 3.15, very first time it's in the Bible, right after sin happens, God says to Eve, you, I don't know why that's cutting in and out. Back there, Stephen, if I need a microphone, maybe uh, Brian can grab me a mic just in case. Would you go grab one just in case? They don't get that solved. So I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise him on the head. And there will be a seed born to this woman who's going to crush the head of Satan, right? Going to crush the head of Satan. And in the process, we find this seed, Christ, being promised to us as our redemption. He is the Redeemer that's going to come to us. If you move further along, it's really the oldest book in the Old Testament is the book of Job. Um, Job's a book of great suffering. Uh, Hillary and I were talking about it. It's not a fun book. It's a hurt my brain book because um, his suffering is really because he's righteous. He's the most. God Himself says of Job, "There's not anybody as righteous as him." Man, he's great. He's one of my best guys. Pick him. Pick on him. And there's this torture that comes along in his life that's very painful, and Job never stops worshiping God. In fact, in chapter 19, you hear him lamenting. So many people have forsaken him and hurt him, and it's just so painful, and he's in great pain. And in Job 19, here's what he says, verse 25, As for me, in my great suffering, trying to live for God all my life, and now I'm in this tremendous suffering I can't even explain, to the point that my physical body is racked with pain, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. Like, there's a guy, there's a person that's going to get me out of this and buy me away from, purchase me away from this pain. I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last day, he will stand and take his stand on earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from the flesh I shall see God who I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see and not another. He's like, I know one day, no matter how much I'm hurting and how much yuck is in my life and pain, I know I have a Redeemer. That's a guy that's a faithful man of God. That's why God says he's a righteous man. He actually declares the redemption is real. Even in his pain, his redemption is real. <coughs> Excuse me. Years later... Israel has uh, blossomed underneath the, the, in the land of Egypt. It's just gone crazy. Joseph and Joseph's family moved there. If you remember that whole story, Joseph becomes one of the, uh, he's sold into slavery, and then he becomes like the king's right hand, and, and everything's going great. But then that king dies, and some other kings come along, and eventually there's a really bad pharaoh that's running Egypt, and he loves the fact that we have a million Hebrew children in our nation that aren't ours. So what we're going to do is enslave them and treat them like crud and make them do all the hard labor. A lot of people believe that mostly the Israelites were the ones that built the pyramids and all the great stuff we see over there in that land. Um, and they did it uh, with people whipping their backs and uh, very little resources. And at one point, even the Pharaoh in this story is going to say, hey, 
Uh, I'm not even going to give you the straw for the bricks anymore. Go get your own straw. you got to do double work to make it happen and keep your quota up. But you guys know the story of the Israelites being in slavery and bondage, physical slavery and bondage, and God sent a man to represent God. And that man's name was Moses, right? And uh, I love Moses because he, he ain't all right. <laughs> he's, he's a little off. And uh, he doesn't speak very well. And he complains a little bit. And he's got some issues in his life. And yet God chose him. And God raised up a servant to redeem God's people from slavery. And his name is Moses. And listen to what God said. Moses, I need you to go tell the leader of the world... With all this power, I want you to walk into his palace. I want you to walk right, walk right up to him. It's happening like Moses. Walk right up to him, and here's what I want you to say. Listen to these words. God says, let my people go. I know you all have heard that a thousand times, but I want you to hear it with your spiritual ears for a minute. Whose people yeah, he, God is very invested in that little group of slaves. He's very invested because he has a man who has no authority walk into the most authoritative place on the planet and say, those are mine. Let them go. You know what Pharaoh said? Not a chance. You're out of your mind. Who are you? Who sent you, right? And there's this whole debate about who sent you. And Moses kind of knew that was coming, so they had the little plan worked out where God and Moses were going to Moses is going to do some things, you know, I can turn my staff into a snake and then pick it back up and all this fun stuff. And, and so, you know, then Pharaoh's got, well, I got guys can do tricks like that. That's no big thing, right? So Pharaoh's not budging, and Pharaoh represents the captivity and the, sin, the leadership of captivity around a bunch of people that God says, those are mine, and I will have them out of their sinful, messed up, painful state. I will have them out. They're mine. Let my people go. And within that conflict, we're going to have what's called the Passover, right? The last night of that deal is literally the Passover that we're going to celebrate right here in a few minutes. So I'm going to get ahead of myself, so let me back up and just tell you. Here's what God does. The conflict happens when all these people are trying to, they're calling out to God in their pain and their sin, and God heard their cries. And in Exodus chapter 5, if you want to turn there with me, in Exodus chapter 5, it's a fascinating story. Now, we love to get focused on the, we love to get focused on all the plagues and the, you know, the, the, the Egyptians, you know, worship frogs and flies and all kinds of stuff, so all the plagues are tied to all that. It's a great teaching, by the way, you're... You're welcome to dive into that, but I want to take it a little different angle. So Pharaoh said, Moses says, let my people go. In fact, Pharaoh says, no, and because you may be mad, now you're going to have to make bricks without straw. Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, and God says, through Moses, I'm going to turn all the water in your land into blood. All the water. The river, all the buckets of water that are sitting everywhere, the water in your house that you collected, all that's going to turn to blood. Kind of a strange way to do that, right? And, and Moses says, let my people go. Um, Pharaoh says, no. So I'm going to send frogs by the thousands. Frogs. Lots and lots of frogs. 
to the point that they pile up and die and stink, right? Lots of frogs. Pharaoh says, no. Now, God's request is real simple. Let my people go. Pharaoh thinking he's all that, right? I don't know who you think you are, little man. I don't know who this Lord is you think you're dealing with. And, you know, you got some little tricks in your bag, but my answer is still no, right? And so in Exodus, and then he sends gnats and flies by the billions, right? Y'all know we live in the South, man. When the gnats come out, it's just horrible when you're outside swatting gnats and they're getting in your ears and your eyes and your nose and you're ah, right? I want you to just imagine thousands, millions of gnats, right? And then flies following that is another part of the, the challenge where Pharaoh's still saying no. And in Exodus 8, verse 25, let's look here. In Exodus 8, 25, Pharaoh calls to Moses and he says, hey, Moses is going, we want to go outside the land. We want to go out into the wilderness for multiple days and sacrifice to our gods. And Pharaoh goes, hey, here's the deal. You can pull all your people together, take a few days off, and sacrifice within the land. Stay in here with us. You stay in my, where I can see you, right? Is that what God's asking? Is that redemption? Nope. Can't do it that way. Moses said, if I would, it would not be right for us to do that, um, do so, for the offering shall, we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God, or, or an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice abominations to the Egyptians before their eyes, won't they stone us? We have to go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord God as he tells us. So, Pharaoh is bargaining, like, I'll, I'll let you go a little bit. Right? You can actually have a few days off, do a little sacrifice. God says, no. Let my people go. It's an incredible moment. So now we're going to get a bunch of livestock die in the fifth plague. We're going to have boils on the Egyptians' skin. That's a good plan. Then we're going to have all the crops destroyed by hail. And the ones that aren't destroyed by hail, we're going to have them destroyed by locusts as the eighth plague. And by the time you get to the eighth plague, um, all the food in Egypt is ruined. Everything's terrible. The people of Egypt are begging Pharaoh to let God's people go, right? And Pharaoh says, I love this. Pharaoh says, you can go, um, but only your strong ones can go. Like, like you, you and your men can go into the wilderness and do this, Leave your women and your children here, because I think you're trying to trick me. So I'm smarter than you. So here's what I want you to do. You just take all the strong men out there. Y'all do your little sacrifice thing for three days in the wilderness, and your women and children will be right here when you get back. And you know what God told Moses to say? No, we all go. We all go. In fact, when you get to the ninth, um, dark, when darkness covers the whole land, Right? <clears throat> Moses actually tells him, hey, we're all going to go. We're not going to leave our women and children. We're even going to take our seniors and those who are feeble are coming with us. There's no stipulation you can make that doesn't equal this sentence. Let my people go. Let them go. Just let go. Right? So verse 24 of chapter 10 is where we get this incredible sentence. 
And I read this in a Charles Spurgeon message a while back, and it's just overwhelmed me to, to see this. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the heavens, and there be darkness, verse 21, over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. That's how dark it is. You can feel it. Moses stretched out his hand toward the heaven. There was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did they rise from this place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light in their little homes in Goshen. They were having a great time, <coughs> excuse me, where they lived. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. You and your little ones may go. Only let your flocks and your herds remain. Still not going to let you go all the way, right? Still not going to let all of you go. You can take all the old women. You can take all the kids. But I, I want your flocks and your herds to remain here. Look at verse 26. You should highlight this verse. Moses said, You must let us have sacrifice and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. We ain't leaving nothing in the land of sin when we get redeemed. Nothing, right? We are fully free, fully set free when we're free. You understand what the Lord was telling Moses and his people? When I redeem you, I redeem all of you. All of you. Everything about you that matters is redeemed into my free place. Canaan land. We're going we're gonna to set you free, and we're not going to do it piecemeal. We're going to set you completely free. Right? When God redeems his people, he fully redeems his people. That's why he says the sentence. Think about the sentence again. Let my people go. Pharaoh, they aren't yours, and nothing they have belongs to you. It's all my stuff. I gave them those flocks and those herds, and there won't be one hoof of what I gave them left in that land. It's all going with us. Right? We're leaving together. And it's this beautiful freedom moment where the redemption of Israel is a, a, a complete redemption. And what it, what it sets aside a picture for you and me is that when Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, how many did he pay for? Really? How many did he pay for? Yeah. Like you have a little conviction about that, don't you? He didn't pay for some of your sins. He didn't pay for part of your life to be surrendered to him. Here's the other thing. When, when Jesus, when God redeems a man, he wants him fully redeemed. Like he wants all of you, not part of you. This is what I really want you to hear this morning, right? He didn't redeem 85% of you so you could leave 15% in Egypt, and 15% in sin land. He did not do that. Charles Spurgeon says, when an animal gets caught in a snare, he, I think he used a deer. He says, when a deer gets caught in a snare and all his feet are locked up, and he wiggles and fights all night long in that snare, and he sets himself free, all but one leg. He's free. He's got three of the four legs free. But one leg still caught in the snare, tied to the tree. Is the deer free? He's dinner. He's dinner for the snare keeper. The guy that's ensnared the deer is going to come take him. When you set yourself, when you said to the Lord Jesus Christ, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for paying for my sins, for dying on the cross to set me free from my sins. Did you take all of you 
into that moment and say, I want all of me set free. I don't want to leave anything back here. I just want, or did you go, I just want part of me to be free. Like, I really want to feel like I got heaven in the bag. Sure don't want anything to do with hell, right? And you're just using them like a fire escape insurance deal? It's a terrible plan because it's not salvation. Salvation is redemption. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve needed a redeemer. Job, the righteous Job, needed a redeemer who would pay and help him through his stuff and make a promise that I will see you in heaven and I'll see all of you in heaven. You and I need a full redeemer and we need to be fully redeemed ourselves. When God redeems people, he redeems them fully. You cannot be partially redeemed, right? Psalm 78, Asaph, David's favorite singer, leader of the choir of Israel, says, he talks about how God has chastened Israel for continually rebelling. And he showed them grace and patience even in their rebellion. And he says, and we still need a redeemer. Psalm seventy-eight thirty-five. They remembered that God was their rock and the most high God was their redeemer. The one who was buying them from sin and setting them free to righteousness. That's who God is. The most high God, right? And then later on, the Hebrew children are subjected to a different leadership and rulership known as Rome, right? And the Romans very wisely said, we'll let you have your commerce and your whole thing. Um, We're in charge of the world, and you can have your little world inside our world. Um, As long as you kind of follow most of our rules, we're good, right? Rome was very wise, and how they handled the Israelites. And in the midst of all that is when God the Father said, now is the time appointed for me to send the Redeemer. Right? The Redeemer. John one twenty nine. John the Baptist is baptizing, and Jesus is walking across the way. And in John one twenty nine, he points and he says, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin, singular, sin of the world. The sin of rejection, of not having an opportunity to be redeemed, is now going to be set free by this one lamb that's walking across. Now, he's ultimately going to be baptized and start his ministry on that day. Behold the lamb. There is one named Jesus Christ who came as a lamb to pay for all your sins, not some of them, but to pay for all of them so he could redeem you. And I want you to turn to Ephesians 1. We'll finish with this. I want you to turn to Ephesians 1 before we take communion this morning. Ephesians 1 verse 7. Incredible passage. Let my people go. Old Testament. New Testament. Ephesians 1 verse 7. Paul says, In him, in Christ, we... That's his people. We have redemption. How? Through his blood, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So we have redemption three ways in this text. Just three simple phrases. In him, in Christ, we have redemption. That means we've been bought back. Through his blood, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses and sins. And it's according to the rich grace. Verse 8 which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I'm going to read the rest of it to you because there's a little phrase I want you to hear. 
He lavished His grace upon us in wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His intention, which He purposed, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ. God had all this in mind the whole time, things of heaven and things on earth. In Him, same phrase repeated, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of those who work all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. So we were redeemed and lavished grace upon us. We were chosen. We were blessed. Ephesians 1 says we were blessed by God. We were chosen by God. We were, we were redeemed by God. We had grace lavished upon us. Why? Verse 12, to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel, having also believed, you were sealed with Him in the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge to our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possessions, to the praise of His glory. Here's why you were redeemed. Here's why He said, you, God, you have to let my people go. He told Satan, by the way, to let you go. You know why? To the praise of His glory. So you and your life would be doing what he, you were... We, everybody here was created for His glory. You were created for Him, not for you. We're created for Him, in His image, by Him and for Him, and to give Him glory. And when He created you for His glory, and we fell into sin, He called you out of that sin. He bought you back through the blood of Christ. He revealed, according to this text, He revealed the gospel to you, and He bought you back and redeemed you. So we can say that we have, we have been redeemed, released. Let me just give you four real quick things. What are we redeemed or released from? What did He buy us from? Right. First of all, He bought us from our trespasses. Chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Sin is no longer your master. I've taught a whole series on this just recently. You do not have to yield to sin. Um, you can fight sin. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit has already helped you overcome your sins. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God.